Welcome back to Women of Baby Polly. I'm your host, Deirdre Mitchell McLean. And I'm her ever spicy co-host, Kathleen Smith, aka Kiki Planet. Oh, let's talk about planets. <laughs> <laughs> let's, shall we? We have like I'm 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 so excited. The the my inner nerd, which is mostly my outer nerd as well, but my inner nerd is so excited. <laughs> yes. We're poly geeking just a little bit today. Oh, and let's just say it. Our guest is Janet Brown. Woo-hoo! Janet Brown from Opinion for Janet Brown <laughs> Opinion Research. Like, oh my gosh, I'm yeah. Yes. Numbers. Yeah. Numbers. Numbers are so great, aren't they? <laughs> and and a name that is synonymous with Alberta politics. Yes. For quite some time, Janet was one of the first people I followed on Twitter back when I was getting super engaged because I've always been engaged but then I got super duper engaged (laughs) and then I was super thrilled when Janet followed me back and actually bragged about it on Facebook too so (laughs) because I do that I fangirl well well, we must have joined at about the same time uh, Kathleen because um uh, you, you, I think of you as one of my first follows as well. And then now I've been Planet Janet for a long, long time. I've had that nickname um, probably going back to the early nineties. Mm-hmm. So, um, so when I, I thought, who's this Kiki Planet person? <laughs> and, <you know? laughs> did she, did she steal my tag? And then, and then, and then I realized, no, it wasn't a steal at all. That 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 you have your orbit and I have my orbit. Yes. And, um, and so I th- think we both come by the planet nickname, um, yeah, legitimately. And I I love that yours, whether uh, intentional or unintentional, is a bit of a throwback to Schoolhouse Rock and Interplanet Janet, because that was always my favorite Schoolhouse Rock uh-huh. episode. And I still yeah, know the the entire little song yeah janet from a, a, another planet but that's right um, no you know what i'm planet janet is just as simple as you know in the early 90s when we we're all trying to get our first um email address janet brown was taken so um so i went with planet janet and one of my happiest things is when i run into somebody and they're like oh, i can't remember your last name and i'm like well that's great that means <laughs> that means my branding's working right? yes <laughs> But so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for asking. So let's dive right in, Deirdre. Yeah, we have some. We let's have get some stuff. right to it. As I as I had originally said, Janet, when I reached out to you, you know, there was, and and I think you've probably seen some of it as well. I saw a tweet from you <laughs> about <laughs> buying a membership, and I've I've also seen some people kind of uh, speculating as to where this would even come from. Why would you buy a membership in in a party to have a say in their leadership race like it and someone had said I think it comes from 44 years of PC rule that the only way that you could get involved to do anything was to buy a membership in their party so let's let's maybe start with some of that because they were around for a really long time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we are seeing right now two completely opposing views we're seeing uh, the centrists and maybe the old PCAA crowd being in favor of it. And we're seeing um, the socialists, the NDP crowd, the the left and the true progressives be entirely against it. So it's, it's turned into not a quiet debate, as Deirdre found out this week. <laughs> maybe you can give us a bit of a history on that and your thoughts on Albertans engaging via purchasing a membership. Sure. Well, I mean, I mean, for, for a couple of generations, certainly as long as I can remember, um, this was a one party state and there was one party that won all the elections. So if you wanted to be politically involved, if you wanted to have a say, um, the thing to do was to join the PC party and participate in, in their stuff because in most of the ridings in Alberta, not all of them, but in most of the ridings in Alberta, winning the PC nomination was pretty much a guarantee of winning the election. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the real hot ticket was getting yourself nominated. So the people who participated in nomination races just naturally had more political power in this province than the people who didn't. Mm. Um, you know, then in 2015, you know, the Orange Chinook, something changed and suddenly we elected, you know, much to everybody's surprise, political scientists would tell you that for a long time, we were essentially a one party state. 
Now, Alberta is a functioning two-party system in that there are two parties who could legitimately, who have a, who have a, a genuine chance of, of forming government. So now, politically, we're more like other provinces. For those mm -hmm. of us who've been around for a long time, it, it's not that odd to join parties and get involved in parties. Parties here have way bigger memberships than they do, you know, as a proportion of the population in other jurisdictions for that reason. So, so I put out a tweet. It was a little bit tongue in cheek. Come October 6th, if you're, and I had in brackets, if your arch rival wins, you'll have nothing to complain about. So, yeah. you know, a few people retweeted it and said, yeah, you know, she's right by membership. And then all the people started jumping on about like, well, who does she think she is and why would a why would a pollster be telling people to participate in the democratic process yeah. what, what the heck is, do you what, know what nerve does she have <laughs> and if you if you go back and you read the tweet i didn't suggest anybody buy a membership the purpose of the tweet was just a little tongue-in-cheek if you don't buy a membership don't complain right and so so we've got this long system of, um, you know, electing PC governments and people joining parties. The other thing that's really unique about this is, you know, this isn't just a chance to vote for the leader of the UCP. That person is going to be the premier and they're going to be the premier for six or seven months. Um, so what that means is I look at the calendar and I think, well, they're going to oversee at least one session, at least one entire session of the legislature, maybe two. And um, there's a lot that can happen in six months. So, so, you know, as a voter, you have a chance to, you know, and one thing people always complain about our political system and how they can't vote directly for leaders. Hey, this is your chance. This exactly. is one of the rare chances that you will have in the Western, in the Westminster parliamentary system to vote directly for a leader. So that's all I was trying to say with my tweet is if this is something you're interested in, you know, do it. And the other thing that's important is people have to realize the deadline is coming up this Friday. Mm -hmm. In the past, we all think about, you know, when Alison Redford won, when Ed Stelmeck won, memberships were being sold right until the last minute. It was mm -hmm. a two-part ballot, right? Like, you know, you you cast your first vote and then there was a runoff between the top three. They were selling memberships in those two weeks between those two votes. This is a completely different process. And I think that what's going to happen is a whole bunch of people, particularly centrists, are going to wake up in the middle of September and say, gosh, I need to get on board with this. Thing. I need to get involved, <laughs> mm -hmm. and they're gonna and they're gonna be surprised to find out that the date for getting your membership has long passed. Right. And before anyone sends us hate mail, Deirdre and I don't even really agree on this issue. Now, I'm I'm not opposed to people getting involved by buying a membership and voting. I have no opposition to that whatsoever. For myself, um, I. I'm morally opposed to this government. I'm I'm not just ideology, ide, ideology. Thank you. <laughs> um, opposed to this government, I am morally and ethically opposed to this government. So, I I can't bring myself to it. There's part of me that feels like I have a responsibility to do it, and then there's the other part of me that looks at my kid that this government has come for at every turn in every possible way, and I. I can't look my kid in, in the eye and then buy a membership for this government. But I take no issue with those who are, are buying UCP memberships in the hopes of keeping a specific person out or even getting a leader they might view as weaker and easier to beat in a general election. Yeah, I, I'm not a partisan. I mean, people always try to paint me with a partisan brush because if you're partisan, it's hard to understand not being partisan, right? It's like when right. religious people don't I, understand. I've, I've been finding out how you, how you can't be religious. So, so quite frankly, like it's it's not about partisans for me. I, people have tried to paint me with a partisan brush, but really, I think of myself as a sportscaster, right? I just I like to call the plays. I don't. It doesn't matter too much to me who wins or loses. I just want it to be really interesting. So I wasn't advocating for anybody to do this. I was just mm -hmm. saying, you know, the time is coming. Um, there was another time in my past where I got myself in a little bit of controversy. Um, somebody from CDC asked me to write um, an opinion piece about the importance of voting. And I sort of said, well, uh, you know, people can vote. They don't have to vote. Like, I don't, I don't care if people vote. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to be a pollster when there's low voter turnout, but I don't see it as my role in society to convince anybody to to vote. So instead of writing a, a piece about the 
the beauty of voting, I wrote a piece called Apathy, Who Cares? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 in, and in that piece, I basically, I sort of argued that, you know, if, you know, if politics don't interest you, if you don't follow politics, fine, mm-hmm. then don't vote. Um, but if you are going to vote, then invest some time and make the right decision. So anyway, that was hugely controversial. Like, who is this woman telling people not to vote? And all I was saying was, vote, don't vote. I mean, you know, I don't yeah. follow basketball, but I have nothing against people who do follow basketball. Right. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I don't I don't bet on basketball games because I don't follow them. So my, my point was, is if politics isn't your bag, like, that's just fine. But if you are going to vote, you know, please invest more into it than just vote for somebody because of their party or because of their nationality or their gender. Like just, just, you know, put a little more thought into it. A lot of it also comes down to people needing to label each other in, in their attempts to sort of solidify their own identity. And we use labels. Now we use, you know, centrist, liberal, conservative, socialist, we, we use these labels, not only to um, curate our circles, Mm -hmm. but uh, sort of as weapons. Well, and, and, you know, in my ideal world, I'll get to the voting booth and the NDP is going to have a fabulous candidate and the UCP is going to have a fabulous candidate and I'm going to have a hard time and the Alberta party is going to have a fabulous <laughs> candidate and I'm going to, and I'm going to have a hard time choosing. Like that's my ideal. And people complain about the quality of people in politics and the bad choices we have. And, and all I'm saying is if, if, if you want to have more than one good choice, then you need to get involved at the nomination level. If you if yes. you don't think the right people are getting nominated, then either participate at the nomination level or or don't complain. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved hearing that, Janet, because I'm I'm pretty sure that we just talked about this. Oh, many times over the last little bit where how people need to get involved at different levels. And when I first started, when I first started writing, it was because I was finding out all these things about how political parties worked. And I thought, I never knew any of this. Like how, how on earth, you know, can people put some trust in a political party when most people wouldn't even know how they're run, let alone how, how everything works in them. And so that was one of the things that I first started getting into and talking about and the other thing too with the with the identity I had you know politics was always peripheral for me now granted I was super busy for a while with kids and school and all of these other things so you you know you've only really got time for so much and when I started paying attention I was trying to figure out well what's my identity right well where do I fit and I remember in the 2015 election even though, or coming up to it, I had just, you know, just gotten into political Twitter. I found political Twitter through some articles where they were you know, showing tweets. And I'm like, there is a political Twitter, right? Like I can just go there and find out everything I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> or find out nothing. Right. Or nothing. But I was just like, okay, so here's the people that I want to be around right now. And so I had, so I'd gotten in. And the thing is, in 2015, there was that that groundswell of, you know, people had been pissed off at the PCs for a number of years, but it actually seemed like something was going to happen, right? It was, it was, there was a real movement. Now, where they went, who knows? And I think back to 2015. It was really the summer of our discontent. Spring? The spring of our discontent? Spring, summer, yeah. <laughs> spring of our discontent. Yeah. In the lead up, in the lead up to May 5th, do you know, I was, uh, and so this actually is probably, you know, this is the foundation of, of where I started politically, which was I'm mad at the PCs. So, you know, I was pushing Wild Rose, NDP, Alberta party. (laughs) Like like I was like, you know, here's here's your options. Everyone (laughs) was kind of what I was doing, but, and that's, that's where I still am. Right. I'm still in this. Here are what your options are. And like, yes, I did push the whole buy a membership and participate. And then I would have people saying, well, all of these candidates are awful. And I said, well, how is that different from a general? Right. <laughs> like, maybe all your candidates are awful in a general, too. But- well, and then we go full circle. 
circle, if all the candidates are awful, then like what choice do we have but to get involved in politics right, right. earlier? So now in 2015, I was actually away for the entire election. <gasps> I had this, I had this like vacation booked and it's like, I'm not letting, I'm not letting it ruin my vacation. So I was following it from afar, which was interesting. And then I literally like flew back on the 6th of May. And I remember like sort of you know, coming off the jetway and like carefully placing my foot down because I had never <laughs> been like I had I had <laughs> I had physically never been in Alberta without yeah. conservative rule. So I wasn't sure if the ground would be everything. <laughs> <laughs> Is the ground even still there? <laughs> Yeah, you wonder yeah. if they're going to throw an orange t-shirt at you as soon as you enter the airport, right? <laughs> exactly. Do you wear this now? Yeah. So, you know, I always say like politics is about who shows up. I mean, I know this is a pollster, right? Um, uh, voter turnout is becoming more and more of an issue. So you don't have to just figure out what people want. You also have to figure out what the people who are going to vote want. And the thing is, is with low voter turnout, there seems to be a growing gap between sort of what mainstream public opinion is and what necessarily the opinions of voters are. So if you're looking at the UCP leadership race and you are scratching your head about the kind of issues they are talking about mm -hmm. and, the, and the kind of people they are focused about, I mean, if you're having trouble absorbing that, you have to understand they're talking to the people who are participating. Yes. And, um, you know, so if we have huge voter turnout on this leadership and compared to other provinces, we do have big involvement. So if we have huge voter turnout, that's going to be maybe like 2% of the adult population. So that means the person who wins needs to win over 1% of the population. Mm -hmm. The next premier could be the next premier with 1% of the population behind them. Yeah, and that's, that's not a happy thought. Yeah, that doesn't bring me... Yeah. And so the simple Smiles. math is, so the math is if a hundred percent of the 1% participate, they will determine who the next premier is. That's just the math. I, I think you brought up something that, uh, that I, I'd like our audience to really understand because we, we have seen a lot of backlash, uh, to reporters, journalists, um, talk show hosts, for having Danielle Smith on uh, for a discussion or for uh, having Rajan Sani on for a discussion. There's a lot of voices who are quite upset about the ideas specifically that Danielle Smith puts forward because some of her ideas are just dangerous. But there's been a lot of opposition to platforming her and her dangerous ideas. However, it's it's obvious that she knows exactly who she's targeting for votes because we've now seen uh, other candidates fall in line behind her. They're sort of echoing some of her ideas. Brian Jean, I think uh, Rebecca Schultz also has brought up more independence from Ottawa. That's the rhetoric that appeals to a specific portion of the UCP base and it's that base that wanted Kenny gone because mm -hmm. they felt he was too liberal there's a terrifying thought for all of us <laughs> um it's it's that specific base that wanted Kenny gone who will come out to replace to vote to replace him as well so as a pollster what are you seeing happening right now are you seeing much movement or is it kind of locked in right now so this is this is an odd place for me to be because I'm a pollster. And so most of the polling I do is with the general public. Now, to predict how this leadership is, race is going to go, I need to get my hands on a list of UCP members. And I know some people are out there saying that they're doing polling of UCP members. I don't know how you ethically get your hands on a list. Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, if the, if the party's giving out the list, is that an acceptable thing for the party to do? If one of the candidates is providing the list is is that an ethical way to use the list but memberships don't close till friday so even if somebody had a perfect list and they could pull from that perfect list memberships don't cl close until um friday and then you'd still have to know you could so anyway the the idea of sort of pulling the members it's not something that i'm going to be doing because i mean i just uh like i said i just don't think there's any ethical way to get my hands on the list without a good list i couldn't do it 
So, um, so, and I don't think doing a poll of the general public is going to tell you how this leadership race is going because because the people who seem to be participating are not a random representative sample of right. the entire population. They definitely are not. <laughs> so I'm not. So polling isn't giving me an indication of who's winning. What is giving me an indication is the behavior of the other candidates. Right. And and whether Danielle Smith is winning or not all the other candidates believe she's winning. So that's yes. the best proof to me. And she is driving, she is driving this bus. No, no pun intended. <laughs> no throwback, <laughs> no throwback chat. No, 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 no throwback chat. Um, uh, she, she, she's, she's driving the bus on this one. You know, when they had that um, leadership debate a few weeks ago and they could choose who they debated, she got most of the airtime because most of the other candidates felt they had to um, debate her everybody's responding to her sovereignty act. Um, uh, Rick Bell had a column a, a, a week or 10 days ago. And the last line of the column, he quoted Danielle Smith. And she said, I'm paraphrasing her. She said, when the opponents criticize my sovereignty act, people just flood into our campaign, right? Like, so her policies may not match the average Albertan, but it mm -hmm. seems that there's, but the people who are, who are angry, the people who have a, who have some concerns, she, she's talking to those people. She's mm -hmm. a, addressing those people. Right. And I try never to judge anybody because as a pollster, I want to keep an open mind to what people are thinking. But there's people with certain anxieties, certain fears, um, you know, certain anger. Um, and those people are much more easily activated right now than the others. And Deidre, you talked about, um, you know, when you had kids and when you were too busy. I mean, the biggest proportion of the population are just, people that I would say have limited bandwidth, right? They have pretty mainstream views on things. They're, they're, you know, they're just, they're pretty centrist. Um, but those people sort of by definition are the least engaged in politics. Mm -hmm. They've got the most limited bandwidth um, because of other things that are going on in their lives. And, and they're the ones who are going to wake up in mid-September and say, you know, Kiki, Janet, Deirdre, what the heck has happened? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and I like, you know, thought experiment that, that we're in right now. Who are the people that, that stood up to run for UCP leader? And uh, there was someone who wanted to run for UCP leader, was denied the membership waiver. That was Raj Sherman. And I mean, just thought experiment here. Danielle Smith is bringing in a very specific group of people who support her and support her vision, right? Now, Someone like Raj Sherman, if he would have done the same, we'd be looking at the same sort of, you know, potential, I guess, blowout within the leadership race. And this is something that I think people don't really understand how political parties work like this. And again, we had a PC government. You could have someone who was a little, you know, more right or a lot more right or a little bit more left or a lot more left or right, at, right down the center because they fit within that. That was an actual big party. And so you could see that, but this is, this is what a new leader brings. A new leader brings new engagement, new people, but also a potentially completely different direction. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I really like Raj Sherman. It, I never, I never fail to laugh my head off whenever he calls me. And, um, but you know, he's delightful. He's so delightful. He's delightful, but um, you know, <laughs> Like he, he, you know, they're, they're, you're supposed to be a member for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. They can issue you a waiver, but he's let, he's been members of many political parties. He's led other political parties. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not much of a stretch to say we cannot extend a waiver yeah. Um, yeah. To, to this guy. So, um, you know, so yeah. Oh my gosh. They didn't let Raj Sherman run. Well, there was a million other um, people who had views similar to Raj who could have qualified um, mm -hmm. But they couldn't raise the money, um, that sort of thing. Um, if people just come to me all the time and they say like, well, maybe we can have this scenario like Alison Redford where somebody comes from um, behind. And it's like the rules are so different this time, right? Like yeah. the amount of money that candidates had to raise to enter the race, that was about making sure that it was a very specific type of candidate that right. entered the race. And Raj Sherman probably could have raised the money but not too many other people with views like Raj Sherman could have raised that money. Yeah. And, um, and then, like I said, closing off the leadership, uh, closing off the membership so early, right? That's, you know, this party was 
founded as a grassroots party. And a lot of people who agree to that, Jason Kenney, for instance, a lot of people who, who were fighting for a grassroots party um, realized over the course of the three years, like, oh my gosh, it really is a grassroots party, right? Like, you know, when Jason Kenney took his giant magic marker and sign that grassroots guarantee mm -hmm. um you know someone should have like whispered in his ear and said you know this means the grassroots could rise up against you yeah um that you know so so this is a party about the grassroots it's it and all the rules and all the regulations are making sure that it is the the most staunchly purest conservatives that are running the party if that was their intention when they founded the party great you did it you now have a party <laughs> yeah. that's being driven by by the hard right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, let's not give the NDP a pass. You know, when you sign up for NDP membership, you must state that you're not a member of a, another party. That would disqualify you from membership from the NDP. Yeah. So, and again, I'm not criticizing anybody's approach to things, but the NDP is doing that to make sure that their membership is, you know, pure. And the UCP is doing their own stuff to um, make sure that they're pure. And for most Albertans, who would never see themselves as a member of a party, never. I ask people all the time in research, you know, put yourself on a right-left spectrum where, you know, zero is the far left and 10 is the far right. Most Albertans rate themselves, a, you know, a four, five or six. Yes. Um, like by far. Now, when we compare, when we look at the other answers they give us in surveys, they're right. When they say they're centrist, they are, they are centrist. They lean right on some things, they lean left on other things. Most Albertans have complex political views. They're not purely left. They're not purely right. So where do those people go, right? Like, mm -hmm. like, I, like I said at the, at the top, we're, we're in a sort of an essentially a two-party system right now, but we kind of still have a multi-party electorate. And um, I ask my uh, voting attention questions a little different than other pollsters do. I ask people, you know, are you going to, if an election were held today, would you vote UCP, NDP, or for another party? And then if they say another party, I make them name that other party. I don't just give them a list. They have to name, because if you can't name the party, you're not going to vote. For yeah. <laughs> so, so, so typically what happens is about 30% of people will say none of the above. And then half of those will name a party, the Alberta party, the Western, the Wild Rose Independence Party. But half will say, will say, I don't know. I'm committed to voting. They're different from undecided voters. Right. So these are people who know who they're not voting for. So I call them the orphans. And this is a group that I've been tracking for about a year and a half now, because these orphans are going to determine who the next government is. Absolutely. And thank you for saying that. It is something that I have said on this podcast from the very start. And that is that uh, poly geeks, poly nerds, the hyper engaged in this province can complain about centrists all they want. Centrists decide elections. That is the biggest voting block. That is the voting block. They will go left. They will go right, but they won't go too far left and they won't go too far right, which we saw with um, the WRP in 2012 when they were poised to win and people woke up when one morning and said, oh, I don't know, maybe this is a little far right even for me. Yeah. And we ended up with uh, the PCAA reelected and that was on the backs of uh, basically teachers and centrists and those who lean slightly left of center. So people can get really, really excited and rhetorical about how awful centrists are. Uh, centrists decide elections. And if you don't understand that, maybe look at how far to the center the NDP has moved well, in, in the last few years. So I've been in the polling industry for over 30 years now. And the first 20 years... Um, it was just a given. Elections were about um, swing voters, right? You, you know, when you did focus groups, when you only, you just paid attention to the swing voters. That's all you did. And then something shift 10 years ago and parties have just been all about sort of purists and focusing on the purists. And so it's been very frustrating for me as a, as a pollster when, you know, when I talk to people, I say, well, we don't need to have them in our focus group. We know how they're going to vote. Let's talk to the people who we don't know. And um, but it just seems that, you know, camps have been entrenched. I mean, somebody like me, I have been the enemy of every side of the political <laughs> spectrum um, because they just like if I don't come into a meeting and swear allegiance, then they don't trust to have me in the, the meeting. And, uh, right. you know, if there's one person on an election campaign who should not drink the Kool-Aid, it's your pollster. 
Um, but it, but I just don't even participate in campaigns anymore um, because you have to pass a purity test. And as a pollster, like, you know, I just have to understand why somebody would, you know, answer a zero and somebody would answer a 10. That's my job. Even a lot of us who, who won't be labeled, like I, I consider myself a fierce political independent. I'm fiercely independent. I'll never join a party again. I'll never blindly support a party again. And uh, my new motto in this life is politicians are not my friends <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. But I, I do think that this rhetoric we're seeing that attacks that kind of middle spot on the political spectrum is based in this all or nothing approach we have to ideology and to political parties now where you either you have almost a cult like religious devotion to your parties your chosen party's ideology and if others don't echo that then they're outsiders so is that creating like more of a mass in the middle to decide elections? Absolutely. I mean, and that's why I'm calling them orphans, right? They were always there. Um, You know, 10 years ago, I would have used the term swing voter. Um, Mm -hmm. But now I use the term orphan because these people are are truly homeless. And it's like, as parties on the end of the political spectrum become more and more entrenched, they become less able to understand people in the middle, right? So, um, so I hear all this rhetoric about like they're unhinged, they're crazy, and from both sides, right? Like, yeah. um, uh, and the problem is when you get too entrenched and you and you can't see the other side, then you'll never be able to, you know, convince that person, right? So, you know, if I'm got A and W as a client and I'm advising, you know, A and W, I'm, I'm just gonna say to them, look, you know, forget about the people who never eat burgers but there's some people who <laughs> like a burger but there's some people who like a burger they just don't like meat can we come up with something for them right well okay well a meatless burger right people flock to AW to try their um meatless burger you gotta meet people where they live right mm-hmm. and if if W got so entrenched that they were like they were a beef burger company they wouldn't be as successful as they are but if they started selling you know salads and they, they would have you know, I'm, I'm taking this analogy too far, but you know what I'm saying? Right? You gotta, <laughs> you gotta meet, you gotta meet people where they live. And if you right. are so entrenched that you that if if you are just so appalled by the idea that there's people out there who don't eat meat, then you'll never be able to figure out how to how to win their business over. Right. And I really like that because it's I'm always trying to understand NDP messaging and who they're talking to and why they're saying what they are. I'm interested in the political strategy behind it. But the thing is that I have to, I I started going into the rooms, right? What are these people saying? Why are they saying it kind of thing? But it, it, it came from having to have those conversations to be able to look at it and say, okay, I see how this resonates. I see where this is going to resonate. And, and I see who this is alienating and, I think it's it's really sad, but it's almost so sad that it's comical to see basically the two parties who are most likely to form government each trying to alienate this growing gap in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because yeah. like, what are you doing? <laughs> right? Although, got, oh, and, and, I, both sides, and both sides are guilty of it. And yeah. you know, the, the NDP, they're never going to win over the ivermectin crowd, right? Like, don't. Right. Oh, exactly. But but there is that parent out there whose kids suffered during the pandemic, who, you know, maybe their speech was delayed, their social development's delayed. You know, there is that parent out there who doesn't feel great about lockdowns, you know, so, you know, you could. It's, so that's the people who are being left out of politics right now, the people who lined up and got their vaccination. But they but they still don't feel great about how everything in COVID was handled. Mm-hmm. And so on the one hand, you're just, uh, you know, you're either completely pro vaccine and pro lockdown and like, we'll do it again if we have to, or, you know, or you're completely anti- never again. There, yeah. But there are people out there that, that have mixed feelings. You know, I have a lot of I'm double boosted and everything, but I have a lot of friends out there. You know, they faithfully got their two vaccinations. They believed it was best. Um, but they're questioning boosters, right? 
you know, it's, 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 I have my opinions, they have their opinions, but, but there's a lot of people out there who are in that gray area and mm. the two parties get so entrenched, then the, the people in the gray area, they don't know where to go. Mm-hmm. And we've also become a, a society, especially I see it happening here in Alberta. I also, I, I watch a lot of Ontario politics because I think they're, uh, they're currently struggling with some of the same dynamics we are. So I, I watch those politics fairly closely too. Um, I I think what's happened is that we've all become so confined to our, our echo chambers, so focused on proving to everyone else within that chamber how perfect and pure our politics are that that in and of itself is alienating the people that we need to be reaching because we, we immediately apply moral judgment to people who don't agree with us 100%. Oh, you don't want to get a fourth booster. What's wrong with you? You're a monster. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the case. And we're not asking questions about it anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we're just making the judgments and howling. And I, I'm I'm concerned that that sort of approach is part of what's pushing that already right wing faction in our province even further right. Well, exactly, because it's um, uh, well, you know, you play play what if politics, right? What if we weren't having a leadership right now? What would the dialogue in Alberta be? What would we be focused on? But the fact of the matter is, is we're having this um, leadership race. And because of the structure of the UC, it's tailor-made for the far right wing of the party to exert themselves. So they, they are exerting themselves. But after October 6, and the same thing's happening federally, right? I think it's September 10th when they're mm-hmm. having their vote. Um, you know, after they elect a leader, after the UCP elects a leader, you know, can they, can these leaders shift? Can they find themselves in a more sort of mainstream position? Um, but but right now, it seems like federally and provincially, the dialogue has gone so far to the right because those are the people who are engaged in a battle right now. The people the left, lefties aren't engaged in any sort of battle right now, so right. they're so they're staying quiet. But Janet, isn't there a danger in that for candidates too? I, I I kind of feel like that's exactly what we saw Kenny do. You know, Kenny uh, harnessed the power of uh, a, a faction of conservatives in this province who felt completely brutalized by Danielle Smith destroying the WRP with her floor walk. It was the first opposition this this province, first effective opposition this province had seen in in decades and Mm -hmm. there was a faction of conservatives in this party who felt um extremely betrayed by her and kenny managed to harness the power and the emotion and the passion of that faction isn't danielle smith kind of playing with the same power the, the same fire now though because sure you can you can harness that power but then how do you govern once you're elected, how do you govern without that same faction getting rid of you just like they did, Kenny? So a few months back, I heard Ron Leipert on uh, CBC, Idol, CBC Calgary Idol for the show. And, um, you know, and I, I think he came out as a supporter of, of Jean Charest. Um, But one of the things he said, and he sort of, this is at the time when they were kicking um, Aaron O'Toole out. And, and, and he sort of said, like, my advice to my Oh, sorry, and Ron Leipert is the federal MP for the riding of Calgary West. He said, well, my advice to my other conservative colleagues is, and, and he used the phrase, don't govern by your inbox. And he was saying that it's easy to think that the people who are leaving you messages and writing to you are your typical constituents, but they very rarely aren't. And he was just saying, like, you've got to get out into the community. The people who are reaching out to you are, are not necessarily um, uh, mainstream opinion. And so I, I have no doubt that the majority of people that Daniel Smith has talked to in the last couple of months are absolutely on, like on base with what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's, but she's talking to the people who are reaching out to her and, and talking to her. So yeah, so I think as long as, you know, conservatives are busy 
tending to their inboxes, they risk alienating a lot of centrist voters. It's going to be interesting when both of these leadership races are over to see if the winners can can move themselves into a position that that's going to be more appealing to these orphan voters with limited bandwidth who just don't see the world through a partisan lens. Mm -hmm. And I want to go back then to, because right where we are is perfect for where were we in 2018 when, when you got to do uh, face-to-face surveys? I mean, that I love the CBC's Road Ahead series because they were able to do so much and, and really give us some, you know, some, some quality insight. I, I thought it was fantastic. Again, nerd out a little bit on that, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and um, so the CBC was running this editorial series called The Road Ahead. And um, they commissioned me to run a big poll. We ran it in 2018. And the idea was to take an in-depth look at the electorate one year ahead of the 2019 election. Um, the, the prospect of a study that big scared me. So I brought in some academic advisors. So I have a little bit of <laughs> cover, but we put a really great team of people together and we took a really in-depth look at the electorate. And one of my claims to fame is I'm the only pollster in the 2019 provincial election who ran a poll that was within the margin of error. Um, but not just that poll was in the margin of error. The one I did in 2018 for Road Ahead was actually, uh, the CBC Road Ahead was actually within, was pretty close to the margin of error as well. Um, and uh, sorry, just to nerd out on you, um, <laughs> just to nerd out this on This is me. a safe, safe space. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this is a nerd safe space. <laughs> just, just, just nerd out on you. I do polling differently than other pollsters do. And I don't mean to trash any of the national pollsters in, the, in, the, in last year's federal election. The polling industry had a real triumph. Everybody did a great job predicting that election. But for some reason, the methodologies that work well outside of Alberta don't work well here. You know, after the 2015 election, I analyzed all of those polls. I wrote a chapter for the book Orange Chinook. And what I found was that the polls were systematically underestimating conservative vote. Um, The same thing happened again in 2019. The polls were saying that the UCP was about 10 points ahead. I came out with a poll that said, no, I think they're 19 points ahead. Heads exploded. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the margin of victory was actually 22%, right? Right. So um, everybody underestimated the conservatives, even me. I didn't underestimate them by as much as everybody else, but everybody underestimated them. And that's because there's, and, and you know, we could have a long conversation about this, but most polls these days are done through online panels mm-hmm. or what I call robocalling or computer calls you up. You know, there's just something about conservative minded people who are just like less likely to cooperate on that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, I still... For you know, I, I do. I do some, uh, yeah, I do different methodologies. But when I'm making a political prediction, um, live telephone interviewers, calling cell phone numbers, calling landlines. One thing we do is we call a number five times at five different days before we give up on it. Um, it's not a cheat methodology. It's not a fast methodology. Um, but it's um, but there's a certain segment of voters that you will miss if you don't do that kind of polling. And if you miss and then, you know, th- this is what happened to the NDP in the last election. They allowed themselves to think they were a lot more popular than they were. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if you could give us three things to watch for between now and the grand finale of this fun, fun times leadership race, what would you tell us to keep an eye out? Well, for? I was going to say, I was gonna say grand finale of what? Because <laughs> Um, you know, I guess I guess between um, now and October 6th, I mean, I'm just going to say, pay attention to who's participating, because they are going to decide. That's the whole theme of this podcast. Um, pay attention to who's who's participating. And if the person who's elected doesn't share your values, then, you know, just just don't complain and don't be shocked. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> don't, definitely don't be shocked. Don't, don't uh, complain <laughs> and don't be shocked. And then um, uh, but then the gloves come off. Right. Because. Right. Uh, you know, I, I think the NDP are in this precarious position right now is, you know, and, and nobody wants to be that cynical, but, you know, a controversial leader may be the best thing that the NDP has has going for them. So, yeah. um, so I think they stay quiet until they know who their opponent is and then and then and then the gloves come off. Uh, and that's safer yeah. anyways, because yeah. when you're when you're targeting seven people, then it's not going to hit nearly as much. You, you yeah. need that 
you need everything I, I, on one. I, I write a quarterly report um, called The Wild Ride. And I do it for subscribers and I do it in partnership with Paul McLaughlin, who's a journalist in the press gallery. And once a year, Paul and I say, does the name still work? And, <laughs> 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 and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's uh, still, know, it's still for relevant. The fir- <laughs> for the first 20 years that I did polling in Alberta, the lines on my graph never crossed. They just vibrated, but they never crossed. And then um, what, what year was it? It was um, 2009 when Danielle Smith won the Wild Rose Party leadership. Yeah. Um, she won the Wild Rose Party leadership and that party emerged from obscurity. And that was the first time to that point in my career, I had seen lines on a graph cross. Wow. And they emerged from obscurity to take over from the liberals as the second place. Party. Yeah. And so close, and so then, close she and, got to the premier's office. And ever since she won the Wild Rose leadership in 2009, like, a, you know, more than a dozen years ago, uh, my lines have been uh, crisscrossing. <laughs> it's been crisscrossing and it's been a, it's been a really wild ride. So uh, when I moved to Alberta, it was the most stable political jurisdiction in the country. And now it is the most unstable political. Oh, the the last two years, ten years. I mean, really, for me, starting from, um, I w- I wouldn't even say the the ousting of Klein or the ousting of Stelmack. I really think Redford was a turning point for politics in this province, and the number of premiers we've had in the last ten years, and the only one that managed to serve out their full term was Rachel Notley, which is shocking to me in a province that is so uh, conservative to its core that they're conservative. But uh, if you're a conservative premier, don't, don't, don't piss them off Mm -hmm. because they'll boot you. They, they, they have no qualms. Conservatives have no qualms in this province about telling even their heroes Mm -hmm. to take a walk yeah we're done with you now yeah and I think that you know I do a lot of interviews with people outside of Alberta and I always stress to them Alberta is a much more complex place than you realize there's this stereotype um but the stereotype doesn't hold true people say to me all the time like oh I hear you're living in Edmonton no I live in Calgary and they're like ah same thing no (laughs) (laughs) And so we always, so politically, we always think of Alberta as a three-legged stool. There's Calgary, there's Edmonton, there's the rest. And to yeah. win an election, you got to win two out of three of those legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, Edmonton may be lost to the Conservatives for a generation. Like, you know, Edmonton is an absolute loss to the NDP. It's hard to imagine, no matter who the leader of the UCP is, that the UCP won't do well outside the two major cities. Right. So, um, you know, and I've heard you say this before, Kathleen, it's battleground. Calgary it It, is there's like I mean um you know people like Rachel Notley Janice like you know at one point it's like have you moved to Calgary they have spent so much time here um, yeah which is good I mean that's what they need to do that's what they need to do that's that's definitely good strategy there's not more to win here Mm-hmm. It's safe ground, right? Yeah, yeah. So they've they've got to do the work where they have a chance of bringing people. I, I, in. I know we're running out of time, but if I could just throw a couple more stats out. <laughs> so in the leadership, in the leadership review, the one that happened on maybe eight. Now I may not have these numbers right, but my understanding is that of the votes cast, seventy percent of them came from outside Calgary and Edmonton, approximately twenty percent from Calgary, and approximately ten percent from Edmonton. If we have that same proportion of voters, right? Um, it's hard to imagine Danielle wouldn't win yeah. if seventy percent mm-hmm. of the votes are cast. So, you know, federally, I, I'm going to be really surprised if here Polyev doesn't win federally. But the only reason we're entertaining the notion that he might not win is because they have a point system. Right. There's no point system here. It's one person, one vote. And if seventy percent of the votes are cast, then this leadership review, this leadership vote, is going to be about the will of rural Alberta. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next election is going to be about the will of swing ridings in Calgary. Yeah. And yeah. those are two very, very different. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Which yeah. means the the NDP and uh, their strategy team is really going to have to work on what messaging is going to work in Calgary, getting out the vote in Calgary. And I think uh, possibly harnessing the power of a youth vote. 
They're right. really going to have to rely on that young urban um, base to push them into a but, couple but, seats. But the new, but the new UCP leader as well. I mean, if the new UCP leader got their job because seventy percent of the votes cast for them are outside of Calgary and Edmonton, then you know, then they'll have to figure out a way to um, try and appeal to, you know, this 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 group of Calgarians who just didn't care to participate. Janet, we could have gone on for hours. <laughs> I would have, I, I would have, I would have kept you. <laughs> I absolutely would have. Thank you so much. Um, and hopefully we can chat about this again, maybe next time something yeah. comes out. Or maybe you. right after the uh, leadership race. We'd love to have to check you in. immediately following the <laughs> leadership race finale to give us your insights it's, and it's, it's uh, a great thing. whatever it's, data you can it's share. It's a great thing about politics, right? It's just you're never... Yeah, yeah, one, one, event, one event leads to the other, yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <laughs>